What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Consumer crunch from Target to Best Buy to Dollar Gen to you name the home furnishing stock. The damage to these names is sending an ominous warning about the consumer. Is the market too worried or not worried enough? Plus, the ultimate game of would you rather will grill the traders on whether over the next six months they prefer to hold treasuries or some of the best to breed big caps. And later, we'll go inside the major move lower in stocks in Mexico. Why Foot Locker's recent rebound could be for real. And how the rising 10 year is going to strip many millions from the next Mega Millions winner. Mm. I'm Lisa wow. coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Bono and Eisen, and Guy Dami. We start off with the market slide that left no part of the consumer untouched since hitting its highs of the year in late July. The S&P has dropped about 7%, but some retail-focused names have been hit even harder, whether you're looking at grocery goods, General Mills, Coke, Pepsi, all down 10% or more, or retailers from dollar stores to big box sellers. Check out the moves lower in names like Dollar General, Target, Best Buy. Even higher-end brands from Restoration Hardware to Tapestry to Nike all seeing outsized losses. One big culprit, higher interest rates, persistent inflation weighing on the consumer. And tomorrow's jobs report, the first to capture the impact of the UAW strikes, could show even more pressure being put on people's wallets. So do all these moves prove the consumer is facing a perfect storm? problems. We didn't even mention repayment of student loans in here. Guy. Why, why, why? Yeah, just throw that throw in on that top. In, toss that in on Great top. Great movie, by the way, with George Clooney. I think yes is the answer, and you're finding it in these stocks, and we've talked about this for a while, but you know, the fact that Target's multi-year low, dollar gen, uh, five below, dollar tree, all, when juxtaposing to Costco, within earshot of an all-time high, and Walmart, same thing. That, I think, is somewhat problematic. XRT, which you sort of prefaced as well, Critical levels here. This 57.5, 58 level has been support a number of times over the last couple of years. Needs to hold that below that, then I thought it take, takes the next leg lower. So is a consumer in a good spot? I would say absolutely not, given where interest rates are. It's a combination of these stocks were too expensive in many cases. And I, I would get at least into the staple space. You start talking about General Mills. These companies were not worth what they were worth. And when you think about a world where interest rates were zero, where they were offering yield, they were they were essentially bid up. The valuation of stocks that uh, were utility-like in terms of the return, we'll probably talk about utilities later, have also been destroyed. But I'm talking about staples. We've talked about that underperformance to the S&P, about 16% since May. But if you look at that staples move, it's down 12.5% since August 1st. That's essentially correlated exactly with when you had this move higher in rates, at least when we really started to rocket higher. It's also, you know, we're, we're having this conversation. Everybody's having this conversation about what GLP-1 means for snacks and, and carbonated soft drinks. And we'll talk Coke and Pepsi. You know, we can talk them here. I don't care. But if you look at the, the Lilly report and the, the numbers that came out in early August almost coincide with all of this. It's more than just a coincidence. In other words, when we started reassessing the total addressable market for weight loss drugs, we started reassessing what you know, units were going to be in terms of sales. And we're hearing about that from people like Walmart. So. Yeah, Walmart U.S. CEO saying today less units. Mm. That's a direct quote, by the way. Less units. How do you like that? Yeah, how do you feel about calories. that? Less calories. Obviously, about it's fewer. The grammar. <laughs> it's fewer, but we get the sentiment. People are buying less. 
uh, because they're on these weight loss drugs. They're also spending more. So discretionary spending is being reallocated from Mm -hmm. whatever they were buying before to these drugs, which can cost, if not on insurance, $1,300 a month, which is a lot out of people's pockets. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder, though, about the shopper at Walmart. But we know there's high-end shoppers and low-end shoppers at Walmart, and I've got to right. think the, the mix would be on the lower end, which would not be where that drug is, because I don't know how, how fully insured that drug is. If it's for diabetes right. and if it's for weight loss specifically, it could, po- it could in fact, be insured. Right. Okay. So, so it is because they are also saying how they were selling more of these GLP ones. So that's showing up in their revenue on that side of things. So I, if they're able to know exactly who the shoppers are and see the basket of what what's in there, because I was sort of wondering, well, how do they know? Is it just the consumers cutting right. back and the consumers trying to eat better? But one thing that I do think is a little bit backward looking is. Um, Arbob, which is a gas, has moved very dramatically in a very short mm-hmm. time that I don't think is really reflected. And we certainly know the pain that the consumer feels at the pump. And so if that's abating a little bit, I think that's that's a good thing. But um, I mean, it's I own a bunch of consumer related stocks. Not fun for sure. Yeah, there's really just no place to hide. You know, and a, a couple other economic data points that we haven't gotten to is like the credit card balances and the tick up in delinquencies. I think those are up about 140 basis points. So you are starting to see those cracks that we had avoided for the longest period of time. And we've gone from hard landing to no landing to now soft landing to I, I, hard landing I, again. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I think all of that ebb and flow is kind of bearing itself out in the stock market. What really concerns me isn't necessarily the moves in staples. And we've said for a while that those have been somewhat overpriced. It's really the moves and the high-end names that are showing that there really isn't a, we, we talked about the K-shaped recovery a couple of years ago, right? So, like, is there no pocket that is safe within the consumer complex? And I think the movement that we're seeing, volatility that we're seeing in that particular subspace is really what is somewhat of a cause of concern. Because even that more insulated consumer are, is really in a situation where they have to make decisions about what are they going to spend on and whether or not they're going to spend that incremental dollar. Yeah, we were talking about restoration <laughs> hardware. That is case in point of the higher-end consumer sort of reevaluating what they are going to spend on. And, and the companies themselves reevaluating how promotional they want to be and how much they want to hold on to margins. Um, I've talked about, I'm short Lulu, it's down from 400 down to 360. But, you know, those numbers they just reported three weeks ago were very good. Um, and all the reasons why people wanted to own Lulu, I think, are very much intact. International men, the kind of growth, the innovation. However... Um, what are you going to pay for these stocks in this environment? And that's really what I think it comes down to. In the case of RH, I don't think it's terribly expensive relative to itself. Um, and I think it's starting to get interesting. I, I, I think a lot of these staples look very interesting because, to be clear, no matter what's happening with the economy, people are still going to go out and drink Coke. And it may not be, you know, it's a demographic thing. They are going to uh, continue to buy General Mills cereals. And, and so uh, it's what you're willing to pay for these stocks. And if you also look at the charts, they've traded in very predictable ranges. And I think if you look at the valuation, you get to a place where when you have stocks that are effectively utilities and commodities, um, that's when valuation really matters. And that's when you get to a place where you say, oh, wow, I didn't think I could own it at 12 times. And I think we're we're getting closer. So you're talking about defensive then. I'm talking about defensive. defensive. That hasn't been yeah. defensive, by the way, right. for all the reasons we just talked about, but will be defensive. And, and so to say suddenly, like, I can't buy Coke. No, I want to. I actually, you know, it's not time to sell Coke. It's time to figure out when you want to buy Coca-Cola after the kind of move it's had and it's oversold. Oh, I think that's a question. When do you get defensive? Because you could have thought for a long time this year that a recession was coming, that those stocks. Mm-hmm. market's going to crack. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It hasn't happened. And the defensive names in the meantime have not acted well. 
And so how do you how do you decide when is when is the time? Think about how utilities are you know, historically very defensive. Think about how horribly they've traded. So it's been a really strange few months without question. Quickly, Karen's right to point out gasoline down 80 something cents, which is significant over the last couple of weeks. Problem, of course, is you go to your local gas station, you're not going to see an 80 cent decline like this doesn't happen that way. And I don't think you're suggesting that. And the move in crude oil and all these really strange things going around the surface. But to answer your question, when you get these capitulation moves, for example, I don't know if our crack staff in EC can put up a Clorox chart. I mean, oh. they, they blamed getting cyber, which is, cyber I mean, attack. sounds a bit fugazi to me. But I mean, Clor- look at this. Go longer term in Clorox. I mean, this trajectory has been in place for quite some. I've been getting hacked for the last six months. So my point is, like, what historically has been defensive has not been working in an environment where it should. Yeah. Where do you go for where would you go for defense? Man, I, I'm going to re- repeat myself and say I still think it's probably that mega cap complex. And, what? and but, no, no, but, but, no, but 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 hear, but hear me out. We just we just sat here and said. Not only have you had the opportunity cost of not being in those names for the better part of this year, you've also gotten absolutely shedded by being what? in those. Hold on, what? Shedded. No, taken to the back shed and oh, beaten. Okay. Shedded. Oh, oh, shredded. Oh, shedded. Oh, shredded. 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 I, shredded. I just didn't know what happened. I wasn't sure. Yeah. Yeah. Shedded, yeah. Shedded, To yes. woodshed, you mean. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Chopped up, spit out. Mm-hmm. So my point is, like, being in those names has not worked for you. So at least you have some beta to the upside in that complex, even if there's probably more downside now. I think that's a, I mean, I think that's First, fast money first. What? Shedded. Shedded? 100%. Woodshed we have used many times. By, by the way, yeah, I was going to say. When, and but not shedded as a verb. No, no. 100%. It gets, it gets into terminology, too, when you t- – you know what? I'm going to say No, no, Tim. You can't do that. That's not fair. Shed. You start your thought. Okay. You've got to well, complete it. Just finish it. your thought and we'll move on. Well, when, when, some, when you're not liking what somebody's doing, maybe they're being irritating to you, you refer to them as a tool. Right. Um, and sometimes, uh, actually, someone tool. could be – in the, tool the whole shed. shed. The entire tool they could shed. Be the whole shed. Or maybe even a Home Depot. Um, if they're Depot. really 100%. Bad, they're the whole shed. Yeah. Or they could be Home Depot. Home Depot. Um, That's like, no, can I just, we've talked about come, those Come people. to Bonowin's defense. He doesn't need my defense. But I'll just tell you this. If you look at the triple Qs, even through a period where higher rates, uh, all the things that should be pushing the market around, they're this close to making a new relative high against the S&P. Now, that, the s and is going down. But if you look at the place that's been defensive and the place that has led markets, I, right now you can't get too far away from these names. I think I'm not very bullish on the market here, although I think we've got a rally to year end. I mean, this is the argument that most investors are making in terms of still being in these names, right? Despite, uh, yes. despite you know, we had that note yesterday, uh, the downgrade of Apple from KeyBank, I think it was, right, to a, basically a market weight saying the valuation doesn't reflect growth. It's a mature growth company. It doesn't deserve this multiple. And yet it does maybe because of the execution aspect in, in this sort of volatile time. Not for me, Apple, but yeah. I have a very big meta position. It started the year much smaller, and it, it, I didn't cheap. buy any. Right, yeah. but I so still think it's cheap. So is Google. I feel more comfortable with those. I have uh, Amazon as well, which is, is not cheap, but I do, uh, you know, I do believe in the AI story. So I'm in that seven, most of them. Uh, don't know Tesla. Is that in? Tesla's not in? It's in? I don't know. For the big? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, I don't own that, um, but... Uh, it's been a good place to be. I think that um, it's been the balance sheets are great, right? The business models for some of them are so great. The margins are so great. Also, they've been in a position where they can become a lot more efficient. That hasn't been. They've been spending money, spend, 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 particularly Meta. Obviously, we know that. And to turn that on a dime, that's very profitable change. Yep. 
Well, the Institutional Investor Hall of Famer, known to move markets, is bracing for a sharp market pullback. Marco Kalanovic is J.P. Morgan's chief market strategist and co-head of Global Research. Welcome back, Marco. Hall nice of Fame. Thank you. Thank nice. You. Hall of Famer, yeah. Beautiful. Perhaps multiple times, in fact. He deserves it. Um, Marco, you, like so many people, started the year very mm-hmm. bearish on stocks. Mm-hmm. You stuck with it pretty much. It's, it's been not an easy ride, but at this no. point in time, you do see the pain coming. No, so we had the price target 4200 uh, and sort of, in fairness, we thought that this is going to be a, a, a more uh, volatile year, that we'll see more sort of chop. Instead, we got that summer rally, primarily driven by tech, you know, which was sort of uh, very painful. And that market came down sort of to our, to our price target, and we, we remain uh, uh, somewhat negative still, you know. So not necessarily calling for immediate sharp pullback, but we do think that recession will eventually happen. So sort of upside versus downside stocks is not that great. But this, uh, this gets at the mm-hmm. conversation we were just having in mm-hmm. terms of, of timing. You can be an investor who believes that recession will hit, that there will be some sort of a landing, some sort of a recession, mm-hmm. and that the pullback will come. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to position yourself at this point in time because we just, I don't know, the job market's still strong. Job market is still strong, but you are starting to see with the stress in consumer. If you look at the sort of the delinquencies in the cards, in the auto loans, um, and, and basically, uh, you know, inflation is there and, and um, um, rates are higher for longer, you know, like, so this uh, thing will eventually come, right? And uh, so then we look at sort of upside versus downside, right? And, you know, could there be another 5, 6, 7% upside in equities? Of course, right? Uh, but if there is a downside, it could be 20% downside, right? And now you compare that to the cash, uh, 5.5%. You know, so now how much equity upside above 5.5%? So maybe 3, 4%. But then downside 20%, right? Like so, that's that equity. Like so, uh, timing was very is very hard, right? And and this year particularly, and we didn't get it uh, timing uh, uh, good. That said, we still stick to that. It's not attractive. It's not exciting. There is an alternative, and recession. I'm not sure how we're going to avoid it if we stay at these level of interest rates. Um, so, now what do they call it when a video goes viral? A viral. Viral. Video. So viral. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mentioned that because Rick Santelli was here the other day. Yes. And his call. 13% went viral. I yes. mean, a million and a half views now. You probably saw that. What are your, I, I, I don't think you think yeah. rates are going there, but yeah. what are your thoughts on rates? Here we are at 4.7% in 10 right. years. So, so it's, it's pretty high, right? And then when you compare the multiple of all these top seven, right, you know, or in general multiple of NASDAQ or S&P, it just doesn't add up, right? The, the, historically, this level of rates doesn't add up with the multiple PE. Uh, where in the cycle we are, right? Um, the other thing is uh, what's going to happen, right? So rates could actually go a little bit higher. You know, I think uh, the you know the 13% might be you know things would probably break a lot sooner <laughs> than that happens. So I don't think it goes that high, you know, but could could go up a little bit a, a little bit more, which is already I think problematic for a multiple. So Marco, there's been two markets. There's the mm-hmm. Nasdaq and you know the Magnificent Seven, whatever you want to call them, and then there's the rest, mm-hmm. which have been. Flat or down? down? Right. Mm -hmm. Do you think that it is possible to just have a recovery out of those Mm -hmm. into others? So that's that's a very good point, right? Like so, Russell is down two percent for the year, right? The cash is up five and a half percent, right? Like so, uh, S and P equal weight is down, right? The uh, top magnificent magnificent seven up a lot, right? Like so, two course of course of action. You know, if you don't believe that there is a recession, I guess buy those, right? Buy the ones which are lagging, right? You know, recession doesn't happen, they will lead, right? You know, 
um, but don't buy these magnific magnificent, right? Like if there is recession, I think magnific magnificent one catch up or catch down mm -hmm. to where, where the rest is, you know, like so, so whether you want to take a sort of view on recession, um, you know, there's also relative value component, you know, like so some things got beaten up already, you know, Tim mentioned sort of uh, staples, utilities and those type of things. Um, some of the cyclicals. So, Marco, part of what I think's got you into the Hall of Fame uh, in the strategist world is also you, you have a quant kind mm -hmm. of approach and a quant background. And a lot of the, I, you know, I just feel like the market we've had has something to do with positioning and mm -hmm. it's had something to do where sentiment is. And it just seems to me that that's been part of the story. In hindsight, that's always easy to say. But um, where are we now on that stuff? Because, I, you know, I remember your call in yep. March of, of, of 2000, <laughs> 2020, excuse me, with mm -hmm. COVID. And you were just like, this is crazy. This mm -hmm. is this is a screaming buy. Um, sentiment feels awful when just six weeks ago people were, I think, over their skis. Yeah. Uh, no, that, that, that's a very good point. So positioning does matter a lot, and, and, and it did matter this year as well. So we started November, December with very low positioning, you know, tech, pretty much everything. Volatility was still high, uh, and then volatility was coming down pretty consistently this year. You know, as volatility comes down, many of these technical investors, like Volt targeters, CTs, they all CTS, little by little sort of increase, increase, increase. So that was a tailwind, right? So you had that big tailwind, I think underestimated by the, by the market. Uh, and then you had the sort of tech AI uh, thesis, so that sort of that sort of got us to the to the highs in, in, in uh, early this summer. But now volatility is picking up. You know, VIX is not anymore 12, 13. Now it's like 18, 19, um, and uh, and sort of data are also becoming a little bit more shaky. You know, so we are now where are we now like we are now around we call it around 50 at 60 percentile. So it's not very high positioning. It's much higher than it was in December. In December it was maybe 10. 10 out of 100. Now it's like 50. Out that doesn't sound very bullish. It sounds to me like, in other words, all this sentiment hasn't really done much to positioning and actually um, people aren't that long, you know, aren't that long. No, it's it's a sort of middle, middle, yeah. like about average, yeah. you know, I would say it means can go up or, or down positioning wise, you know, but we do think that the sort of this cycle part is going to get tougher and tougher, you know, so yeah. as the consumer erodes savings and cash. Marcos, thanks so much for your time. Um, so I remember the quant, re the quant report that you used to put out, being that uh, he, Tim just brought it up. You used to put it out with Scott and Amin and a few mm -hmm. other people. How should investors be thinking about volatility as an asset class mm -hmm. right now? I know we're always talking about should we overlay or buy outright optionality, but in terms of actual allocation, can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, so you know, in a, in a, it's, it's hard to own just volatility because there's always negative carry to it. Volatility is a protection, so you need to pay for it. You know, it was also tough this year, you know, but it got this summer, got, when it got, when we got to 12, you know, in July, it, it did look really much, you, you, need to, you need to own some of the downside protection. Um, investors are also selling uh, uh, short-term options, one, two, three-day options. They're overriding some of the ETFs, you know, like, so it's been used also to generate, uh, as an asset class, to generate yield, generate carry, you know, but... So now at 18, I think it's, uh, uh, it's probably still a good to own some of it, but not as attractive when it was down to 12 or 13. So, Marco, thank you. Thank you. Hope you come by soon again. Thank you. Marco Kalanovic, JP Morgan. Um, so what do we think here? Well, mid 3000s, the S&P sort of mirrors a lot of things that Mike Wilson's been talking about. I mean, Marco, you got to listen to him. You don't have to agree with him. You got to listen to him. And how many people are in the hall? He's still working. He's in the hall of fame. He's like Eric Clapton <laughs> of, of, the, of the stock market. Good for Marco. 
Well, I, I, I think that as we set up for some seasonal dynamics, I, I look at what rates have done, what oil have done, um, and, and I just think a lot's been thrown at the consumer. I think a lot's been thrown at the market. I don't really like the setup for next year, but I, I kind of feel like we have some room here. I also think tomorrow's a payroll number. When, whenever we get that next payroll number that really shows that the labor market is, is weakening, um, I think the market's going to love it. And I think I think they're going to believe that we still have that Fed back. This has all been about the Fed put that people actually like people thinking, hey, you know what? After that last meeting, they're serious. Like they're, they're not messing around. And that was the difference in the rates markets on top of a few other things. So um, I think the short term to medium term move to the year end, it, it favors the bulls. All right. Coming up, Rivian's terrible, no good, awful, very bad day. Oh. The headlines taking all the charge out of the EV maker shares. Ooh. We'll drive down that bumpy road ahead. Plus, our chart of the day is a dangerous triple-top brewing for this industrial giant. We'll break that down. More Fast Money right after this. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. We have a news alert on the criminal trial of FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried. Kate Rooney's got the latest. Kate. Hey, Melissa. So we just wrapped inside Sam Bankman-Fried's criminal trial here in Lower Manhattan. We had three witnesses today taking the stand. FTX co-founder Gary Wong has already pleaded guilty to fraud. The prosecution jumped right into it today asking, did you commit financial frauds while working at FTX? He said yes. And then prosecutors went on to ask, did, do you see any of the people you committed fraud with in the courtroom? He stood up, he spotted Sam Bankman-Fried and said yes. He's wearing this oversized suit, was Bankman-Fried's college roommate at MIT. And he also lived with him in that infamous Bahamas penthouse. He said when customers deposited money on FTX, it was directly funneled straight into an Alameda bank account. All of this, he says, was at the direction of Sam Bankman-Fried. He also said Alameda, the hedge fund, it's also connected in this, had special privileges and unlimited access to FTX accounts, also the ability to withdraw endless money, as he put it, also have a negative balance and a $65 billion line of credit. Also said Alameda did take roughly $8 billion of customer money from FTX. Wong also got a $1 million personal loan from Alameda and then a 200 to $300 million loan he says was taken out in his name. He says that borrowed money was used instead to make investments on behalf of the company. He said he never saw it. He owned about 10% of Alameda Research, that hedge fund. Bankman Fried, meanwhile, owned about 90%. We also heard from Adam Yadidia. He was another FTX executive and an MIT friend as well, also a Bahamas roommate. His testimony ended on a fiery note, guys. It was later struck from the record, but when asked why he eventually lost faith in FTX, he said FTX defrauded all of its customers. And then we had Matt Huang. He is a venture capitalist at Paradigm, took the stand, He said that they lost, had invested and then lost $278 million in that company. They wrote it down to zero. He pushed back on Bankman Fried. He said, 
wanted a board seat, but Bankman Fried pushed back. They never had a board of directors or a CFO. So a couple key testimonies there, guys. Back to you. Crazy stuff for a trial. Kate, thank you. Kate Rooney. Racy. Wow. Mm. Um, we are kicking the tires on two auto stocks making headlines today. First up, GM shares dropping after the Wall Street Journal reported at least 20 million of the automakers' vehicles were built with potentially dangerous airbag parts. Auto regulators recommending a recall of more than 50 million vehicles using the same airbags, which are made by Arc Automotive. The recall would affect not just GM, but 12 other automakers, including Ford, Tesla, Toyota, and more. GM stock hitting a three-year low on the back of this. And shares of Rivian plummeting and notching its worst day ever, going back to its IPO in November 2021. The EV maker announcing a $1.5 billion convertible bond sale after the bell last night. We, it also provided uh, Q3 revenue estimates that were in line with estimates. Obviously, it's the raise uh, that has the stock down this much. Here. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just looking. Rivian does have another convert out there. Mm-hmm that not surprisingly got annihilated. It had a 20 and change uh, conversion price. So it's now through that. On the one hand, you can think that a lot of the selling was from people who think, all right, I'm going to buy on the convert. I want to get in front of it. I'm going to short some and then I'll buy the convert and, you know, Delta hedge it. On the flip side, though, this now breaking below its conversion, you got to rejigger your if you own this bond and you have short against it, you kind of have to rejigger. So I don't know. I'm interested to see how the short interest has changed. Um, but this bond, that bond was four and five eighths percent for six, what's now six year paper. But mm. I think they're going to have to probably okay. pay more than that. Yeah. yeah. Demand is off the chart. I mean, crazy amount of demand. The CEO talks about a pathway to profitability, all good stuff. That's a pretty huge move today on 190 million shares or so, four times normal volume. They lose 33,000. They're going to have all the demand they want. They lose 30 grand every car they sell. I mean, that's not a particular. Now, you can say that will flip at some point. Yeah, maybe. But they haven't proven that to be the case yet. So I understand you trade the stock. But you look at a long-term chart of Rivian, if you can look, it's pretty much flatlined at this level for quite some time. I mean, you want to trade it, be my guess. But I don't know if you can own it here. Well, it gets back to, you know, where rates are higher, suddenly people are reassessing not only business models, but also what companies are worth. And this is a case where uh, the cash burn is crazy. At GM, like, they didn't need this news. And, and they certainly didn't need it. The chart tells you that as it broke through that 32. We also had just some macro numbers on the sector. We had uh, U.S. SAR numbers, so auto sales year over year. And, and those numbers were okay. They were around 15.7 million. But a lot of that is fleet. And if you look below those numbers, you know, we're starting to see weakening in demand. And we've said all show already why there are concerns around the consumer. It's not great for the autos. There is a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. The ultimate would you rather. In this corner, the mighty six-month treasury bill. Its challengers, some of the market's most widely owned stocks. Are you ready to rumble? We'll go 10 rounds next. Plus, as if air travel wasn't stressful enough, a change is coming to Mexico's airports and the stocks taking a hit because of them. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Some Mexican airport stocks dropping today after the government announced changes to airport fees. According to reports, the changes will affect the entire tariff system, which includes passenger fees, use of runways, and leasing spaces to airlines and suppliers. The broader Mexico ETF, EWW, also down sharply. Uh, that's one that you own. It's in your yes, acronym. Yes, the, the onomatopoeic ooh is really, it really had a bad day. But it was, you know, kind of an odd report. It seemed rather arbitrary that AMLO, the president, sort of put in these new tariffs that didn't have any, it seemed arbitrary, random, and out of nowhere. And so all of those stocks got hit hard, like the Grupo Aeropuerto de Pacifico, which amazingly, you remembered that I owned like 12 mm. years ago, which yes. was kind of astounding. So um, the, for thinking about it further, this, I think, presents somewhat of a concern for if you think you want to not onshore, but go to Mexico, near shore. Mm -hmm. And if Mexico is as business unfriendly as to do things like this, which AMLO has done, he has done some of that, um, then you kind of have to rethink, which is not great for, if, you know, if the big three want to hold moving to Mexico over the head of the UAW, this, this isn't great. I'm going to cross the border and go to Delta. I'm going to beat you to the punch okay. and say that they report, I think, on the 12th of October, so next week, if I'm not mistaken, we thought the stock could go to 49. That's where it went. That was a prior high. But here we are in the mid-30s again, 36-ish. I think Delta actually ahead of earnings next week is pretty interesting here, Melvs. Bonwin? Um, listen, I think there's got to be some understanding of the risk that you're taking anytime you're kind of taking on this international type of risk, and we can kind of juxtapose this to China. I think uh, the, the Mexican market, clearly, I think it's progressed. I th you know, their emerging market trade, I still think, makes sense. And if you really think about where do we want to be in terms of the energy complex, I think Mexico both has the manufacturing and the uh, commodity exposure. So I, I think this actually might be a chance for you to get involved. So the, the Mexican peso is off 10% since September 1st. I mean, if you invest in the EWW, you have that currency risk. So I, I think a lot of this is macro. I think a lot of this is interest rates. Um, I think the, the, the dynamics, uh, less about stock specific. You're absolutely talking about some of the risk in new business. Having said all that, I think Mexico, you're buying this weakness. Oil prices ultimately support that economy as well. And I think they, I think they hold. Did you change your position at all? I did not. I did not. When AMLO, uh, his presidency ends September of next year. Coming up, the ultimate would you rather. We're pitting bonds against stocks and what could be Fast Money's toughest challenge. Oh, yet. wow. That is I'm next. nervous. Plus, activist action in Foot Locker. One of our traders says this name could be a prime target for the right investor. Could kick into high gear. We'll see if the shoe fits after this. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks, finishing basically flat today and well off their lows of the session. The Dow just down uh, 10 points, the SP down 5.5 points, and the NASDAQ 16 points in the red. Crude oil extending its rapid slide lower on demand fears. The commodity now down more than 10% in just the past week. And look at shares of Levi falling after the bell. The company reporting mixed quarterly results, cutting its full-year sales forecast. Remember, it already lowered the forecast and says now it's going to be at the lower end of that range. Moving on, it's now time to take another one of our favorite Fast Money games and turn it on its head, because that's what we do. It's the ultimate edition of Would You Rather. We are asking the traders to choose a host of different big caps versus the six-month treasury, which is yielding 5.557%. Very attractive. So let's get our boards out. Jump right in. Would you rather, Tim, six-month T-bill or Disney? So, I, I mean, I guess the, the calculus here is really it's a six month time horizon. Where's my total return going to be? I know what the bogey is on the six month bill. I think it's going to hold these levels. I think Disney, which is so beaten down, 
is going to outperform. I'm going Mouse House, and that's oh, a, nice. that's a nice. decent nice. little. Yeah, that's pretty it's good. not bad, right? Yeah, probably copyright infringement, but it's great. Okay. It's all right. The Mickey's very good. Thank you. Right. Disney. Um, how about six-month T-bill, Karen? Yes. Or J.P. Morgan? Well, okay. Um, even though I do own one year. J.P. Morgan, for a couple of reasons. Uh, it's, What's it say in the upper corner it there? It just says, hi, Jamie, just in case he's watching. Probably not. <laughs> oh, he's anyway, watching. Yeah. No, it, did a heart over the eye. Okay. <laughs> I think that, you know, it has just under a 3% yield, which is not that far off, as well as being at under nine times earnings. So for me, I feel like I'd rather, and I have more money, sort of where do I have more money in J.P. Morgan than I do in treasuries. This, is one, this mm. next one's an interesting one. Six-month T-bill or NVIDIA, Bonowin. Let the eye rolls ensue. So I picked NVIDIA, and the reason why is because... Use your board, please. Oh, yes, sorry. <laughs> Thank My you. goodness, yeah. I know. Dropping the ball. Shedded it. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I, I'm picking NVIDIA here because you have to pick your spot somewhere, right? And I've come up here and I've said, listen, I really think that the, it's very attractive to be investing in treasuries. But you can't completely run out of equities and only be in this singular asset class. And for that reason, it's in line with the barbell approach. I still think you want something that's going to give you that upside growth. And I think NVIDIA still offers that in tandem with T-bills. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Karen her opinion because I you own Nvidia. I do. I own Nvidia. Or T bill. Um, I own Nvidia. I own a lot more Treasuries, but the risk risk reward is obviously very very different. I agree with everything you said. I, I think it's a an interesting way to look at it to think about. You have to be. I do believe the AI story, and I do believe we always talk about picks and shovels. Mm-hmm. That's where you want to be. All right. Here's one for Guy. Mm. Six month T bill or Amazon. Okay, I'm going to channel my inner Rick Sand. Do you see what I did there, Mel? Can no, you see that? I don't see anything. It's hard to see that. Yeah. Okay, that's that's unfortunate. I mean, no, it's Guyana, Colombia, and that yeah. line, Latin that's, America. The, that's the Amazon River. I mean, that's actually dropping scale. Obviously. 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 Yeah. You're not happy about that. <laughs> I, you can barely read well, I mean, that's it's because, not your fault, though. It's no, because Miles gave us really well. bad pens. I'm just throwing Miles under the bus. <laughs> so Amazon reports around Halloween. I'm betting that they will report one of those ridiculous quarters where you see a 15% move in the stock over the last, you know, over a few-day period of time. So I get the T-bills. I get why that's safe. But I think Amazon might be hair-triggered here. Okay. Here's a bonus round. Mm. This is a very interesting question. Would you rather six-month T-bills or the 10-year? Oh. So there is risk in duration. So what would you choose, Tim? This is a complicated question because there's three or four levels to it. There's a duration element of it uh, because I, I actually think that there is still some risk in duration and moving out the curve. I, I look at the short end of the curve, and I, I do think in six months um, that's going to have come in. So I realize you're not really seeing much capital appreciation in your T-bill. But I, I'm going to say the six-month T-bill because I, I, I think not only do I feel comfortable, and in the next six months I think we're going to answer a lot of questions on where we're going, it's possible we still go higher on rates, not at the short end, in the long end. Yeah, Karen. I agree with Tim. I think, I mean, something terribly, terribly bad has to happen for the short end to go dramatically down. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the short end. Bonowin? Yeah, I, I'm going to be with the six month as well. But I, I just want a little bit more dexterity and optionality here. I don't want the duration risk. And if things do really roll over, I do want to be able to kind of monetize and then redeploy rather than taking the mark to market risk being tied up in tenure. I guess the question embedded here also is, do you think that there's going to be a reversion in the tenure in uh-huh. the short term? Right. Sure. 
So yes. all, you so, could make some money in the long you end. You can make, right, yes. exactly. So that's, right. that's even, well, even, even, even if you're then near there wouldn't be a the, six months. the Amazon River. Or, I got to tell you something. I'll get a close-up of this because it's actually brilliant. I'll play your reindeer game and say the tenure, because I do think, although tenure yields could probably trend up a little bit from here, if the market sell-off that I think is going to happen is going to happen, it's going to drive yields lower, which the appreciation in owning the underlying asset will go up. Right. Is the flight to quality the short end? I think it'll be in the form of the TLT. That's just my view. So I'd rather be in the TLT. Did I just get a ding? No, that was my shoe. Oh. If the ding fits. Counting up, triple top trouble. One industrial giant mowing into a concerning chart formation. So what does it mean for the stock going forward? Our chart of the day is next. And CNBC is celebrating Hispanic heritage. Here's the president of Oceana Cruises. As a first-generation Cuban-American, both of my parents were born in Cuba, migrated here to the U.S. uh, uh, for political reasons. Growing up in Miami, uh, the cultural melting pot that it is, uh, was was always a a, a comforting feeling because uh, I always felt like I was surrounded by uh, folks that understood my heritage and understood the dynamics of my culture. And uh, now that I'm able to raise my own kids uh, here in Miami, uh, it's it's really nice because we're able to really keep keep a lot of our own cultural heritage alive. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time to reveal our chart of the day. Deer is nearing the dreaded death cross. Mm. It's 50-day moving average, close to falling below its 200-day after a tumultuous couple of months of trading. Um, you pointed out, Guy, a potential triple top. Well, there are, they say there are no such things, but in the case of deer, if we could throw that sucker up again, you will see that that's exactly what it looks like. And we play the Golden Cross, Death Cross. Well, we're precariously close to exactly that happening. So watch it. They report, I want to say mid-November, so you got some time. But this is a stock that every time we sort of made these moves higher on the back of anticipated demand and stuff, it gives it right back. It's happened three times now. And one has to wonder, as you know, things start to slow down, how will impact the John Deere and company? So I know Tim drives one. He mows his own lawn. He's a stud when it comes to that. But how many like Tim that. Seymour's are out there, really, I, if you think There's about a lot it. of people out there cutting their own grass, and, and I, I commend you. By the way, you know, when people call it a, a lawnmower, I have to correct them. It's a lawn tractor. It's a lawn tractor. So nothing runs like a deer. A small tractor, though. It, look, we don't have to get into <laughs> You know, well, Tim has a diminutive my tractor anyway, is, but you know, um, I would also say, so I, I, I agree with Guy's concern here. Um, and if you have concern for, Caterpillar, for, for deer, you have concern for Caterpillar. And if you have concern for a chart that also has been kind of a, a rocket. Now, the valuations in both cases are not terribly challenging. And, and, and that's the story. But uh, the industrial world, after outperforming significantly, if you look at the XLI as, as an overall for that group, under pressure here and underperforming. So do you have concern for URI? Um, yes, I think it does for a couple other reasons. I mean, part of it is, is, is there trouble with the infrastructure bill because rates have moved so much that financing projects is harder to do? Yeah, it does weigh on it. Yeah, I, I tend to think I'm, I'm with you there. I think the overhang of the infrastructure bill is really what, well, one, the tail, it was a tailwind that got us to where we were, and subsequently now with rates, rates where they are, it's kind of a bit of an overhang. I would actually be looking at an entry point for deer. I would wait, but I really think at 12 times it's pretty compelling, and it's not just an agriculture or industrial story. It's also a technology story, and it's one that I want to get behind. 
Um, I, as I recall, ARK invests mm. ETF. They cite Deer as an AI play. Pardon me? In 2040? <laughs> 50. I mean, I it know, seems, but, seems to be the time horizon. They use AI and, you know, there's a lot of automation yeah. going on. And well, I'll, I'll say this. And- I mean, the, these stocks have re-rated massive. They're not expensive. But, I mean, if you look, you know, Caterpillar was an $80 stock a couple years ago. It's, it's you know, it's 260 now. Let's so. play it out for a second. I mean, we got a couple, we have a minute here? Maybe that. Part of the beauty of owning a tractor yes, is being you. able to sit in it with your hat, right? I mean, that's all part of it. If we are now a society that is self-driving deer tracked, I mean, what have we become? Who's going to put the hats I'm on? Sure are you going to put it on the seat in absentia know, of a driver? Farmers, but no. for, for people who actually have to work for a living and farm their farms, this might actually be a very good thing because it can make them very productive. Or maybe that gives them something. It's a very therapeutic thing to be out there in oh, the field. See? I mean, Thank you, There's Tim. nothing better than that. Don't you take know? that away so. from us, Melissa. We're, I'm not doing anything. I just want to go to break now. Okay. Coming up, here's something we haven't said recently. Foot Locker shares having a strong week. What's behind the step higher and what can we learn from the move? We'll play referee on this name next. And here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is chatting exclusively with the Levi Strauss CEO as that stock is down on the back of lowered forecasts. Catch the full interview, top of the hour, Mad Money. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Foot Locker have been a shoe dog over the last six months, down more than 50%. But in the last week, the stock has been showing signs of life, jumping more than 11%. Karen says there's more to this mini comeback than just a rebound in sneaker sales. So what do you think is behind this move? Well, I think a couple things were behind this move. Nike talked about their inventories improving and their wholesale inventories improving. So that is good. Um, to say it's had a nice week, okay, yeah, but, I mean, it has been really terrible. But what I also saw it on a list of the most activist-able companies. Mm-hmm. And so it sort of made me th- take a closer look. What, what, is, what makes a good activist target? One, state of incorporation. Foot Locker happens to be in New York, which is a very, Delaware is the best, probably most shareholder-friendly. New York, also very, very friendly. When the entire board is up for re-election at one time, that's also very good for activists. That fits the bill here as well. And then the third one is sort of severe sector underperformance. Because the sector can be very much out of favor, but to have one of their, one player in the sector be out of favor, uh, way worse than the other, that's not good. So is it right for an activist? Maybe. I do think, though, I like Mary Dillon as the CEO. So if that would be part of an activism campaign, that's going to be a tough one. But And it's ridiculously cheap. So I do think that it doesn't set up terribly, but um, I don't see anybody there at the moment. All right. Well, Foot Locker, it, you know, it is, it is tail versus dog, whatever. But, I mean, it, it, it certainly is a tail on Nike. We just had Nike's numbers. If you look at the analysts covering the stock, three or four of them, it's interesting, actually have the same uh, headline on their report, which is better than feared. So that, that explains to me the move you had in the stock. The stock, which, again, not a broken company, not an expensive company, uh, a question really of where do you think you're going to see the next catalyst? It's probably not coming from China. It's probably not coming that marginal dollar of discretionary. So, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure at the stock, I, I you know, I'm I'd like to see that move down to uh, kind of the mid 80s. And then I think it's it's probably time to not only cover it, but then you start thinking about going the other way. Mary Dillon, I think she bought some shares recently. I think she owns almost 150,000. You'd like to see that. Put your money where your mouth is. That's a good sign. Problem, of course, is the stock's at a 12-year low. A couple of analysts, I think, initiated in late September, neutral, downgraded the stock. Price target's around 18 or so. 
it's just not all that interesting here, I don't think. Coming up, a cash value conundrum. Mm. Why the billion-plus-dollar Powerball jackpot isn't nearly as good as it seems, and it's not for the reasons you think. That story's next, plus final trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. Call it a mega million discount. A billion dollar plus Powerball jackpot may have a nice ring to it, but it's not quite as eye popping as it may seem. If the winner opts for a lump sum payment now, he or she will get the discounted value of a billion dollar annuity with interest rates where they are. Mm. That comes to less than 50 percent of the headline value, according to Wall Street Journal analysis. That is quite a bit lower than what it was when rates were much, much lower. If you take the annuity, you'll get your one billion dollars in installments, but you have to wait 30 years. Well, I'm not playing then. I mean, forget it. I'm out. <laughs> good. And More I'm room for the rest exactly. of us. Yeah. I'll forget take it, it either way. Yeah, good yeah. Problem to have. <laughs> Time for the final trade. Time to go around the horn, Tim. Staples, uh, Coca-Cola, it's not time yet, but at $48 in the chart, you, you've had essentially a 20% pullback, and valuation starts to get very interesting. Karen? Yes, so next week we're going to start to see corporate earnings, and we always start off early in that is the banks. So next Friday, I think J.P. Morgan reports. I like the setup going into that earnings report. The stock's been down a fair amount in the last couple of weeks, so J.P. Morgan. Bonoan. For the longest time, home motors have essentially flown in the face of the rate volatility that we've seen. This last pickup, I think, might just give you some pause. If you're looking for an entry point, I'd wait just a little bit. When I started in Drexel Burnham in 1986, by the way, 60 Broad Street, Rick Santelli. Right, yeah. The first thing they, what do you think they gave you first day? An HP 12C calculator. Right. Which took time. Time value of money. I got one. Time, time value, value of, of money. money. Guy, yeah. Time value of money. Yeah. So we knew these things long before. I'm just saying. And if Tim doesn't want to be part of our reindeer games, he'll be the only one on the show on Tuesday. Let me ask in front of Wind Resorts. Will you buy me, if you win, do you buy me a car? Uh, Win. Thanks for watching Fast. Don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.